Once upon a time. In a land far away. I'm Katrina. And I'm Jeff. And welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat. While we retell you a thing. Welcome, welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. We are excited to have you here today for another Fifth Friday Fable Fest. Fifth Friday Fable Fest. Today, it is our third Fifth Friday Fable Fest where we're going to be talking about some more of Aesop's famous fables. And I am very excited because these are some of my favorite episodes to do. They are super fun. Mostly, I love like the discussion and dissecting them and getting into them, which is kind of like what Aesop's fables were intended to be something that people could dive into and like examine different parts of their lives or like old wisdom. And I always like to pick out a theme for our fifth Friday fable fests. And the theme for this one was it's marriage, marriage relationships, even if the real moral (laughs) (laughs) as stated by Aesop really had nothing to do with marriage. I was trying to get ones that had something to do with marriage since we did just finish a really big project that was all about marriage, our Beauty and the Beast project. So since we were already examining marriage relationships, I thought we would do that for our Fifth Friday Fable Fest. Nice. And this this episode's also special because we wanted to include our listeners and open up the discussion by having them comment on the Facebook page and bring in some of their ideas about some of the stories, which was great because then it's actually going to guide our discussion into probably places that we weren't planning on going with the discussion. I heard somebody say that one of the great things about podcasts and radio is the interaction between people because it's like most TV shows that you watch, you don't get to like comment directly on them or have like a voice in like the making of them. But radio has always been a medium where there has been kind of lines of communication open and podcasting can be really similar to that. So we were really happy about the response that we got. And I think it's going to actually add to the discussion because whenever you get more people's ideas, the conversation is always better and more insightful. Yeah. A lot of people made comments or like observations that I never would have thought of. And so now we can like go off of those with maybe thoughts that they hadn't considered. And it just like snowballs from there, which is really cool. It is. So to start off with, Jeff is going to be retelling the lion in love. Okay. So the lion in love, a lion once fell in love with the fair daughter of a forester which already I have so many questions on how this is even possible, but I'm suspending my disbelief. (laughs) So the lion went to the man, the forester and demanded his daughter in marriage. And the man was like, you're a lion. You're scary. You could eat me. I don't want to refuse, but he also didn't want to give up his daughter to a lion. So, you know, he's like, okay, well, since my daughter is young, and delicate. I'll only consent to you marrying her once your teeth are taken out and your claws are chopped off. And so the lion being so like completely in love with this woman, this forester's daughter, he agreed to that. And so the lion got his claws cut off, 
He got his teeth ripped out, and once his claws and teeth were gone, the forester took out a club, boom, killed the lion, the end. And the moral is foolish love brings sorrow, at least according to Aesop. (laughs) So I posted this one on the Facebook page, but I didn't post like the moral with it because I wanted people to come up kind of with their own moral. And so the question they asked was, what was the moral for the lion? And then what was the moral for the man? And before I start butchering people's names, I just want to remind everybody that I didn't learn phonics as a child. (laughs) (laughs) And I really bet. So if I do end up butchering anyone's name, I do apologize. So one person named Chompa wrote... I think the moral for the lion is to not readily agree to anything without considering the consequences. The moral for the forester is that you have the advantage if someone agrees without any hesitation or negotiation. Dang, those are both way good. And the reason why I was like, oh my gosh, those ones are really good is because it also, it harkens back to the fact that Aesop's fables are mostly about politics. Yeah. And so when you kind of look at a story through that lens, usually like that will be kind of the correct way that <laughs> you're supposed to look through yeah. is like this like political or military like context. And so I really like that. Yeah. And I was surprised because knowing that about Aesop and I said, oh, foolish love brings sorrow is the moral according to Aesop. But it makes me wonder if that's even true or if it's just something that the translator did or I don't know. But anyway, because yeah. it was like in my brain, a, so much more of a stretch to go that way. Because, again, the thing that I was thinking was it's easier to deal with an enemy once they've been declawed. Yeah, declawed. Like once their weapons are gone, then you can deal with them more easily. So if you can agree to that, then you'll have the upper hand. And then I guess the opposite side of that is like, don't allow your enemies to, you know, disarm you or whatever. Yeah. As terms of whatever, because then you have no way to fight back against the terms that they may change at the last minute or whatever. Yeah. No, and even going back, like if we want to make this modern day political conversation, which I don't want to make it too modern day, (laughs) alienate some people. But one of the, the things that the United States is constantly doing with like other countries is asking them to arm themselves less. Yeah. There's constantly like denuclearization. Yeah. So I think Chapa got a really, really good moral out of it as far as like, you know, not agreeing to something without considering the consequences. Like, again, even if you've got the the forester's daughter, all of a sudden you have no claws, you have no teeth. Like, how are you going to defend yourself? He was so blinded by love that he didn't consider the consequences of the agreement that he was making. Yeah. So I think that is a good warning. And yeah, it's like if someone is that eager to agree with you, then you've got yourself in a good spot position in the negotiations and then viewing it through this light it also reminds me of one of the aesop fables that we told in um a past episode it reminds me of the story of i want to say it was like the sheep and the wolf where the wolf was like oh send away the dogs because they're making it hard for us to be friends with you sheep and the sheep were like we do want to be friends with the wolves okay dogs go away and once they were unarmed the wolf then attacked the sheep. Yeah. 
And so viewing this story through like that, like the military light, it really reminds me of that. Story. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I struggled to make sense of a tying this into love really. Cause it doesn't seem like it's about love. It seems like the story is between the forester and the lion, not between the lion and the woman. Yeah. Did we get any, any, uh, I can't remember what people wrote in about like from that kind of perspective. I'd be interested to hear what other people said. So Megan wrote for the lion, if you're not good enough for someone as you are, you won't be good enough for them cropped. And then for the father, a yes with conditions goes down better than a hard no. So yeah, like the, like the forest end of it, very much not about love, but like on the lion's end, he was like, I'm willing to do anything for love. And it's like, maybe you shouldn't though. Yeah. <laughs> like they're like, you still have to keep your wits about you. I think yeah. in love, which kind of goes back to the, the stated moral of foolish love brings sorrow. Yeah. Cause it's almost, it's like a very one sided Romeo and Juliet story where like <laughs> it, it only ended disastrously for one person. Yeah. So I can see how it, it is about love if you look at it from like the lion's point of view of if you are willing to give up anything and especially if it's a one-sided love that's bad like if you have like this unrequited love for somebody and you're willing to do anything for them like you're gonna constantly get stepped on and trampled and whatever because you're you're allowing that to happen to yourself instead of like respecting yourself which goes back to like if you're gonna change yourself for love like that's a problem. Yeah. But it's like, you should be loved for who you are. Yeah. And it should have to have conditions to to that extreme attachment, like changing your whole personality or your whole. Yeah. Especially if it's in a way that's like harmful to you. Yeah. Like if you have to change yourself so much that like you are beating yourself down. I mean, in a less extreme way of like having your claws and teeth removed, like, yeah if you're in a relationship and a person is constantly making you put yourself in compromising positions, yeah, like they don't love you. The, if They're not showing love by putting you in compromising positions. Yeah. And that's how you know it's one-sided love. Yeah. And it seems to kind of like, it could be, I don't know why this is what I'm thinking of, but like, you know, taking away someone's ability to fend for themselves. Like if they don't have like any control or access to their money or if you're like isolating them from like friends and family mm-hmm. and they're going to have to completely rely on you, then that's a sign that it's going to going to a real bad place. I mean, those are signs of like abuse. If your yeah. significant other is doing those things to you, then you are in an abusive relationship. And that's kind of what it thinks like that's such an extreme thing. I mean, obviously not physically having parts of your body removed, but that lion is completely at the mercy of, whoever he puts himself at the mercy of like this woman, her father and the father did not act responsibly. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, like, and on his end, he did not trust the match. Right. Which I mean, kind of goes to this one person, Valerie, she said, get consent to marriage from the person of interest, not their controlling father. Yeah. Which I'm like, that was a point I was going to bring up too. Cause we don't, yeah. we don't know if the girl's in love with him back or anything. Yeah. He's just like, oh, I like that woman. I'm going to marry her. Because if she really did love him back, then there kind of would have been an opportunity for that kind of, like, if her dad was like, well, I'm going to, like, do this. And he's like, I'm willing to do that. And she could have stepped in him and been like, no. Yeah, yeah. 
I don't want that. They could have run away together into the woods. I exactly. still don't think that's a good match, but that's, that's, I'm, <laughs> I'm outside of that relationship. So like my opinion of their relationship doesn't matter. But yeah, like the, the father, he did not trust that relationship, which, you know, I think fair it's enough. Fair. That is fair. Yeah. Because especially if you're like a father looking at it being like, ah, I don't see this as safe for my daughter. I which wouldn't is let my true. children marry lions. That's yeah. for sure. Which it's true because like if if he had allowed the match, then he would be allowing a giant power difference between yeah. her, like his daughter and her lion husband. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's it's like he was like, I want to take away your power. So there's less of that power imbalance. There would have to be a lot of trust there yeah, <laughs> to be comfortable with that. Cause like if you're putting your daughter in a situation where you know that she could potentially be harmed, yeah, like, that's also not great. And people see that happen too, where, you know, you see somebody get married who, you know, there's going to be this like power imbalance that's, going that could lead to abuse and yeah yeah it's no bueno no bueno that's a situation that all parties just need to walk away from and because that that leads to kind of like what you had been talking about earlier of like someone who goes into a relationship where they're the other person has the ability to control them in a lot of ways of being like especially yeah it's usually like either age difference or wealth difference or like there's lots of different possible like power imbalances that yeah can happen like inside of a marriage but like you had been talking about like if they take away your access to um like communicating with other people or controlling your finances or whatever like making you feel like you are powerless to ever leave yeah and so being married to like a lion when you're like a mortal woman. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that there would be a fear to leave. There would be a fear to like, you know, try to go because, you know, there's that constant threat of danger that's like underlying there. Yeah. Even if it's not being expressed, it's always kind of simmering beneath the surface. Yeah. So the last comment that was made under this story on the Facebook page was a gif that was like racism, racism, racism. <laughs> so I was like intrigued by yeah. that as uh, Camille was the one who had written <laughs> or had put the gif that was like racism, racism, racism. So looking at this story through that racist, through the lens of this being about racism, like what, what do you get Jeff? I don't know. It's tough. I'm trying to see like, I'm obviously I think the difference is in like, we have a species difference in the story of like a lion and a human being. So I would think that they would be thinking like, Oh, they're looking at the lion as rather than like a different species, like a different race. Yeah. And like just the perceived, well, I, I guess, I guess what I see is like, you have, you get that situation all the time. Like it, it, whether in real life or just like in media, I see it a lot of people not wanting like inter there for their children to like intermarry, like between races or whatever. I mean, what's frightening is that like, for me, like that idea of like looking at this story through like a racist lens, it does make me think of stories of 
uh, lynching in the United States where if, or even um, castration of black men, because if white people thought, Oh, like this man's hitting on my sister or like some female relative or, Uh or white woman in their community that they're like, Oh, there's a black man who's either possibly interested in this woman or has already like been with this woman. Yeah. They would take them and either lynch them or castrate them or beat them. Jeez. And so looking at this story through that lens of like racism, it it makes it all the more disturbing. It makes it more disturbing because I feel like in the story, since it's a lion and it therefore like it's not human. And so I don't know, I feel less like attachment to it. But when I view it through like a racist lens, I'm like, no, (laughs) protect the lion. Like there's no, he didn't do anything except like love somebody. Yeah. And it goes back to like the exogamy or an endogamy of like marrying inside of what's perceived to be like your group and then, or marrying outside of your group and marrying outside of your group can be seen as very like dangerous or Mm -hmm. wrong. Yeah. And so, yeah, when you look at the story through like that lens, it does lend itself to like a different moral and it complicates it. Yeah. Because if, if you look at through that lens too, it's kind of tough to be like, cause the lion is inherently dangerous to a human. Yeah. And, you know, I could see like on a metaphorical level to the, in those racist people's minds, they see a perceived threat but there's not a real threat. So it's hard to be like, yeah. it would be interesting to find a story that could show that nuance. Like it was a perceived threat, not a real threat that the person was trying to eliminate Yeah. in order to do that. But then it would have to be a whole different story. But, but anyway, and not that that's what Camille was suggesting, but it's just, there's some like nuance that would have to be added in that this story as written does not accomplish, but I yeah. can definitely see how you could look at it from a lens of racism. Yeah. And that's one of those things where I was like happy that we would put stuff up on the Facebook page. Yeah. Because I never thought of that. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought to like look at it in that different way. Yeah. So so it's a fun like brain challenge to be like, oh yeah. To try to understand from that person's point of view, how they would see it in that, in that way. Yeah. All right. So now I'm going to be telling the story of the man and his two wives. (laughs) So, it starts with, in a time and place where a man could have two wives. There was a man who had one wife that was much younger than him and one wife who was older than him. And the younger of his wives didn't want people to think that she was married to a man that was much older than her. So every time she found a white hair on his head, she would pluck it out, (laughs) which I'm like, this poor man. And his older wife didn't want people to think that she had been married to a man much younger than her. So every time she found a black hair on his head, she would pluck it out. (laughs) Until the man was bald. Oh, man. (laughs) Plucked out the poor guy's hair. All of his hair. So this one we put on the Facebook page and I asked uh, just what would be the moral that you would write for this story? And <laughs> I think my favorite one was Meg 
A good barber is hard to find. (laughs) (laughs) And I think like in the time of like quarantine and social distancing, that's like especially more poignant (laughs) because usually like I've just, I mean, I had to do my husband's hair. Yeah. So luckily for him, I didn't have to like pluck them out. (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, coming as a guy who literally today just like shaved off all of his hair and his bald I identify with this man. Did your wife shave your head? Yeah, she did. What's interesting to me, like in this story, like speaking of like the more personal level of like uh, male pattern baldness and aging and (laughs) my husband, I really find it attractive when a guy has like salt and pepper hair, Uh like that. I just immediately think that a man just like looks more like mature and important. Yeah, me too. like silver hair he has. Yeah. Like uh, on just even like a level as like a heterosexual man towards other men. Like I think guys with salt and pepper hair look cool. Like you said, for the same reasons, they look mature. They look distinguished. They look, I want to say powerful in some way, which is a yes. really weird thing to no, say. No, but... Like, yeah, I get it. Cause there's that, that like kind of like, they're not so old that yeah. like there's like any kind of like weakness or senileness that, is perceived just by looking at the person they're at that sweet spot where of like you have you have enough age and experience to be wise and knowledgeable but you're young enough perceived to be young enough to still be like energetic and strong and yeah whatever and so i find that like i find that super attractive and my husband has like no white hair no silver hair (laughs) and i was looking at like his dad because i was like okay like because i was trying to figure out like when can i like like, when is this going to be happening for me yeah and his dad doesn't really his dad just has like blonder hair like right it's like he went from having like dark blonde hair just back to lighter blonde hair but it's not (laughs) he doesn't have any white hair and so i'm looking at my husband like he might never like he'll never have like gray hair. Yeah. I'm super, I'm, I'm going to just have to put it in his head. I'm like. skipping it too. I'm just going straight to the bald, but I do have some gray beard hairs going in. So I don't know if my dad would want me saying like, he's balding. Um, <laughs> he's been balding since he was like 27. So I, it's not like a shock to his Trust, system. He knows he's balding. Yeah. Like he's aware. Um, and so to me, I've always thought that, that looks so just normal. It's like, oh, that's like what an adult man's yeah. head looks like. And so whenever people are like, oh, I'm super insecure about like my balding or something, I'm like, why? It, you just look like you're a grown man. Like I, just, <laughs> like, I don't understand. So yeah, a good barber is hard to find. <laughs> and there were a lot of really good, funny comments on this one and some yes. good ones that were like interesting like michelle said the moral of the story is wear a hat <laughs> she would put like laughing emojis after it too it's like yeah yeah that's what he's gonna have to do now yeah. unless he yeah. wants to just embrace the bald look yeah because you don't want to sunburn your bald head he's like gotta gotta wear a hat so crystal and this is actually my sister crystal she wrote, the moral of the story is polygamy leads to premature baldness, <laughs> which I just want to point out that uh, we have a great, great grandfather who was a polygamist. And so I'm like, if anybody can throw shade at like polygamy, Poly- <laughs> you're, you're claiming it. Well, yeah, we're claiming it. 
Because I, I just thought that was like interesting. And that's another one, Mike and she wrote, do not marry two wives. <laughs> <laughs> like that is like the moral of just like, well, this wouldn't have happened if <laughs> you yeah. only married like one woman. Because it's kind of like, I don't remember if this, I don't remember what the real moral that was attached to it was, but it's kind of that thing of, it's hard to please two different people. Like yeah. it, when I think of like marriage, like, you know, there's that adage like, oh, marriage isn't 50-50, it's 100%, 100%. Like you both give everything to it. Yeah. And like just by the way that math works, you cannot give 100% in like two different directions, you know? Yeah, yeah. So there's going to be compromises and conflicts that arise because of that. Yeah, and the stated moral, this is actually one where the moral had nothing to do with marriage. Oh. Where it says no man can belong to two parties at once. Mm. And so it speaks more about like trying to please like two political parties at yeah. one time. Uh, I mean, it could be any two groups of people. You can't please like two groups of people at once. And there's like an old adage or something that's uh, a man can't serve two masters. Yeah. Isn't there, there's like a scripture or something in like the Bible that's like a, a man can't serve like God and a uh, man or God and mammon. I don't know. Yeah. God and mammon. And so, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of that, that you can't, Oh, that's what it, the old adage is. You can't make everybody happy. Yeah. And it, like, Anytime that you are trying to make everybody like you or everybody in a group happy, like it's impossible. You will go bald trying to do it. Yeah. Like, like, you know, you, you'll, you'll bend over backwards until you snap because you can never make two different opposing groups happy. You yeah. can only compromise. Yeah. And the compromise would be, let the poor man have his hair. Oh my goodness. <laughs> And that's what my favorite moral that somebody wrote was Valerie. She wrote, don't marry someone whose appearance is going to bring out your insecurities. Oh, and I loved that. That's good. That's really good. Because it turns the story from being like about the man yeah. into a story about being a woman. Yeah. Like being the women in the story. These two women were feeling insecure because they were married to this guy whose like hair was... Like salt and pepper, that like mix of like black and white of somebody who's in like the middle of his life. But they both had, and they, since they had opposing insecurities, yeah, they ripped this poor man apart. But yeah, you can't be married to somebody who makes you feel insecure and then you want to change them. You're, you're either both going to be miserable or you're going to make each other miserable or something. Yeah. It's people who are like, oh, like this guy, like I'm married to a guy who's like into running marathons. And so maybe I need to be like sexier for him and I need to run marathons, but it makes you miserable. And it's yeah. like, no, just let that man run his marathons. And if he says he loves you the way you are, just be cool with that. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because this in a way, like with that moral, it makes it kind of an interesting reverse probably in a convoluted way to the lion and the, the forester's daughter's story yeah. in that the lion was trying to give up his teeth and his claws. He was trying to give up so much of himself so that he could be with the person that he loved. And then in this story, it is these women who love their husband that are trying to change him to get what they want for themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just kind of like a, an interesting, like 
flip of the coin in that perspective. Yeah, since the lion was willing to change himself, but these women were forced to change <laughs> like yeah. their husband. And both of those things are not good, you know? Like you should yeah. give your of yourself the way you are to someone and they should accept that of you. And the and the other way around, like you should accept someone as they are and not try to change them. Yeah. Cause yeah, if you're marrying somebody who you're embarrassed to be next to, to like, yeah, like be with, they might be a good match if you can fix your own insecurity. Yeah, exactly. But if you can't get over that insecurity, it's not good for you and it's not good for them. Cause you're going to rip yeah. the dude's hair out. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a poor man. Like <laughs> He didn't deserve that. And it was interesting because uh, Valerie had said to me privately, she was like, oh, well, like, I don't want to discourage. She was like, I wanted to come up with a moral that didn't discourage uh, polyamorous relationships, yeah. which I thought was interesting because it's I, I don't necessarily think that the problem in the story was the polyamorous relationship. I think it is like she was saying that, like, these yeah. two women were married to somebody who was insecure with themselves yeah the two women were insecure we're both married to someone and they were insecure that they were insecure about which polygamy and what goes into polygamy is different than what goes into like a polyamorous relationship i do want to know that there is a slight like a power and social difference in the way that those relationships are structured right because polygamy is not necessarily the same as a polyamorous relationship but in a polyamorous relationship, those can work as long as, yeah, like everybody is very comfortable with themselves and understands like what's going into the relationship and they feel secure in their love and trust relationships with each other. Yeah. It's like in going into the simplified version of the story as it exists right now, if the women were not insecure about themselves mm -hmm. based on how their husband looked. Yeah. Presumably everything could have worked out completely fine. There was no yeah. other indication in the story that there was anything else amiss in yeah. there. Yeah. Assuming, you know, like you could assume a lot of things and go into the backstory. It's like, oh, well, they weren't happy to be in like a sharing a husband or whatever. It's like assuming all, the story is at face value. Yes. Change that one thing, change the insecurity and they would have been happy and the dude would have not lost his hair. Yeah. The relationship would have been fine as long as, you know, the young girl was like, it's okay that he's got some salt and pepper hair. It makes him look more mature. I like being married to a mature man. And if, you know, the older woman was like, oh, yeah, look at me. I got it makes it look like I got a younger man. Like, good for me. Like him yeah. and his hair. And then everybody would have been fine as long as, yeah, they didn't have those insecurities. I like that, Jeff. That um, you're like the problem. You're like the problem isn't the polygamy. The problem is the insecurity. insecurity. That was pulling him in like two different directions. Which is also something that we can relate to for ourselves. Yeah, because like there might be things in your, I mean, in your relationships, but also just in lots of different things that you can be insecure about. And really, you need to take care of that in yourself and become comfortable in yourself so that you don't do things like yank your own hair out thinking that like, yeah. That would make you love yourself better. Yeah. And then also the message that's actually intended of like, no man can belong to two parties at once. Realizing that if you're working on a group project or you're the, the leader of something, sometimes you just have to 
pick one side and say, I'm sorry, we're going this direction. I know it displeases half of you, but like, this is what we got to do. Yeah. So speaking of a story, this next one, we did not uh, put on the Facebook page, but it's kind of a stretch for our marriage theme, but it goes really well with the one that we just told. And it's called the father and his two daughters. All right. The father and his two daughters. So back in the day, Aesop's day, there was a man and he had two daughters, which I'm sure comes as a shock after me reading that title to you. <laughs> One of the daughters married a farmer and the other married a potter. So after the daughters had been married, he goes to pay a visit to the farmer and he asks the daughter how she's doing, how everything's going. She's like, oh, everything's going great. You know, the only thing I could wish for is if we had a little more rain so it can water the crops and so that, you know, our farm that her husband works will have lots of crops and everything will be great. And so on that same day, he's like, okay. And he goes and visits his other daughter who married the potter. And the father asks the daughter, he's like, oh, how are things going? And she's like, oh, they've never been better. You know, the only thing that could make it better is if we had, you know, even more fair weather just like this so that we have great weather to bake our clay in. And so the father was like, oh man, what am I going to do? You want sunshine and your sister wants rain. I don't know what I'm supposed to pray for to make both of you happy. What's the deal? I kind of feel like that's like a sign. This the basis of a Seinfeld joke. <laughs> and the moral is, if all prayers were answered, no one would be satisfied. Which this is this one's interesting because it's kind of like a theological yeah. uh, moral at the end instead of one that seems like blatantly political. But I mean, if you make it political or military related, militaristic, you would get probably a story about how like both people are praying for their army to succeed yeah. for their side to like win. Yeah. And they're both not going to get what they yeah. want. Only yeah. one can get what they want at any one time. And so all prayers can never be a hundred percent fulfilled. You hear about that with like sports all the time too. You know, it's like, yeah. like Where- people are praying for like, <laughs> The Yankees to win and other people are playing for the Red Sox to win. It's like, well, apparently God only loves some of you and not the others or whatever, (laughs) which is obviously not the case. But it's interesting because I didn't think about it before, but this is kind of the same thing as the the man and two wives in the sense that like he was not going to be able to satisfy the wants and needs of both of these wives. Like they wanted him to be something different, but he was never going to be able to be both of those. Yeah. To in, at the yeah. same time. And then in some ways it's like that's if we look at that in relation to like God that complicates people's relationship with like a, a God. Right. That um that and then it becomes like, well, if I'm God's favored people, then why doesn't he always answer my prayers? Because every yeah. group always thinks that they're they're God's favored people. Yeah. And I mean, and that also leads to people thinking like, oh, whoever wins must have the the true God. Yeah. That, who, because the more powerful God allowed that like group to win, which right. is how a lot of groups and religions got um, squashed and destroyed and stuff. Because a group would come in and once they took over a city, they would force their religion onto that yeah. other group because they're like, obviously, my God's more powerful and is allowing this to happen. If yeah. your God was so powerful, he wouldn't be like allowing this to happen. Yeah. And so this story does comp- like it complicates that, like that relationship with like, yeah. When you take it at, like a truly fil- uh, 
theological level. Yeah. Like theologically, like these are some of my favorite discussions because there's like a, a Jewish tradition. I'm trying to remember what it's called, but it's like where they like come together with two kind of seemingly opposing views Mm-hmm. And they argue their side with each other. Yeah. And the point isn't to arrive at the one true answer. The point is to put people in conversation with these difficult topics to make you like mentally active yeah. in your religion. Yeah. And so I really like s- stories like this that do like complicate that relationship between trying to figure out like, God. And like, if you believe in God, where are the problem spots in your theology or the, the, what seemingly what seem like not plot holes, (laughs) that's good story. Right. But But I know what you mean, but like inconsistencies or. Exactly. And one of the things that I think of, like, you know, from a theological perspective, which is not at all how I thought of the story when I was reading it. So I'm glad that we're discussing that. But um, because I was thinking of as like, you know, it says prayers, but I wasn't thinking of that as meaning like, literal prayers to a deity. I was thinking like you could replace the word prayers with wishes. Like if everybody got what they want, no one would be happy because someone would always be wishing for the exact opposite of what you were. But in this story, you had someone saying like, well, I want there to be more sun. Someone saying, Oh, I want there to be more rain where it's like, you can't have it be sunny all the time because then you wouldn't have water to feed the crops and the plants and they would all die and everyone would starve. And you can't have it be rainy all the time because then things would flood and you know the plants still might die because they get drowned out or whatever it's like both of these sides didn't need to get their way they needed to see again like in a theological level like what is the truth they needed to come to the reality that was like god's plan and god's plan is it for it to rain sometimes and have fair weather on other times so that you both get what you want but not all the time every time and it's just like life you know you're never going to get exactly what you want all the time You may be praying for things that you just can't get, like you want to be rich and famous or whatever, but that's not going to be what's going to be best for you. You know, assuming God has like a plan for you. You can't always get what you want. My kids hate it when I sing that song to them. Yeah, that was growing up. That was scripture. (laughs) That was scripture in my house. Jagger 316. My dad would literally quote that. He would would say to us, what does Mick say? Uh, You can't always get what you want. That's that's hilarious. Because I do like my Kids would be like, I don't want to eat these vegetables. You can't always get what you want. They're like, stop it. Who knew Mick Jagger was speaking the gospel truth? (laughs) Every parent that has ever existed. But it is. I like that because it is, uh, you know, even potters have to eat, which means that somebody's got to be able to grow that grain. Like it has to stop. Like the rain has to stop sometimes. Like one of the things I think that makes the world, the earth, like so beautiful is like diversity of things. Yeah. I mean, you were talking about like, like to you when it was raining where you were living for like weeks when the sun came out, it was like, oh, finally. Oh, my goodness. Like, yeah, we can. And I live out in a desert. So every time it rains, we like run screaming out of the house to like be in it. It, Like the rain usually only lasts for at the most like 10 minutes. And so it is like, we have to immediately drop everything and run outside to just enjoy that. Yeah. And so it's, it's funny because, you know, for these like two women who are like, I really need the rain to come or like, I really need it to be sunny. 
if that wish was always being granted, even for the farmer, if the sun was always shining or the rain was always raining, it would be bad for the crops. Both of those things would be bad for the crops. And it's the same for like the potter. Yeah. If it was all that one thing, you do need to have like a mix of both things. Yeah. The other thing that I think is really fascinating about this story is that when he goes to the daughters and asks them how they're doing, they don't say, oh man, life sucks and I need this thing to happen in order to be happy. Both of the daughters, one says like, oh, he's like, how are you doing? And she says, splendidly. And the only thing that she could wish for was like more sun. And the other one, when he asked the potters, the daughter that married the potter, how, how things were at their new house, she said, oh, they've never been better. But the only thing that we need is this. So there's like interesting that they were both completely happy. And if they had gotten what they wanted, they actually would have, you know, again, for the because of the unforeseen consequences of getting their wish. It's like the, the tricky genie. They would yeah. have been worse off and more miserable than had they never made the wish in, in the first place. So I think yeah. there's something about that. If you want if to me, the theological thing that I'm getting out of it is like and I, you don't even have to be theological. You can take it just to a level of you know, the human experience on earth. It's like you, you have to be satisfied with the life that you have. That's realistic. It doesn't mean you can't hope for things to be better. It doesn't mean that you can't try to make improvements, but just know that you're never going to get what you want all the time and to be happy for what you have. Cause again, they were both doing really, really well. Yeah. And actually I feel like the people who I know who are miserable in their situation and usually saying things like, Oh, I will be happier once such and such happens, they're usually just as miserable. Yeah. When the thing that they wished for does happen is like when it's not based on that thing, actually. Yeah. Cause I've talked about this before on the podcast where like, it took me a long time to get pregnant and have kids. And I knew that going into trying to have kids that it was going to um, be hard. And something that somebody told me like right at the beginning is they were like, don't, wait to get pregnant or have kids to be happy. Yeah. Like really, really enjoy right now when like you can't have kids. Yeah. Because, and it was like, my husband and I were like, okay, then like we're going to do things that like will be harder once we have kids. And we were like traveling around and we could just decide, Oh, we're going to go on this vacation or we're going to do this thing just whenever we wanted. Cause like we didn't have kids. And on the flip side of that is I did know people who they like constantly were sad and upset when they couldn't have kids. And then when they got pregnant, they complained about how difficult it was being pregnant yeah. and how horrible it was. And then when they had kids, they were like, Oh, this it's is so awful. Hard. I hate this. It's so difficult. Yeah. Uh, it's always. And so there's all at any stage of your life, there's something you could be miserable about and complain about. Yeah. And so it, it would be nice to kind of be like the daughters in the story who were saying like, my life is really great. It'd be nicer. You know, like if there was more sun, that would be helpful. Or if there was more rain, it would be helpful, but also just be content where you're at right now. Find happiness in now. Here's the other thing that's really fascinating about it to me that I'm just realizing is like, it was the father that was feeling all of this like weight. Like he, he wanted so much for both of his daughters to be happy so yeah. he was feeling torn like they were they probably still would have been fine you know it's like they're like oh we're doing great the only thing that could be better would be this thing 
And they weren't yeah. even, they might not even have been saying that that's what, th- that they needed it to be happy. They're just saying like, that's the only thing that could make it better for us. Yeah. And so he was trying to have the absolute best for both of his daughters and he couldn't, he was like stressing about it so much. So it's kind yeah. of like, is there a lesson in there for that father, that parent, that person that's like trying too hard to please other people when they're actually doing fine? Like you don't yeah. need to be praying for those things for either of them because <laughs> things are going great as they are. Like yeah. let their lives be what they are and let them enjoy it and let you be happy that they're living great lives. Yeah. Even if it's not like the best most optimal situation that you can imagine for them. Yeah. Or even like if you are looking for ways to make somebody's life happier or because like I understand that like as like a parent wanting your child to to give them good gifts. Like yeah. you you want to make your child happy by giving them anything that they like want or need. But try to focus on things that are in your control. Yeah. Like that father can't control the weather. No. And so all, so he was at the mercy of like whatever, really whatever God had planned. Yeah. And on my wedding day, it was raining and I was like, like, oh, this will, this isn't really that great for pictures. I really like want to pray that like it would stop raining. And I thought to myself like, well, but if God holds off on the rain for you, then it's going to rain on other brides. Yeah. But it's fine because the the rain stopped for my pictures. <laughs> so obviously you are his chosen daughter and he loves Obvi- you back. <laughs> <laughs> obviously. I'm like the most important. And then it was amazing because like later on at my wedding, there was this like giant double rainbow. Oh, nice. And so it was like, I was glad that it was raining on my wedding day because I got this like beautiful double rainbow at my reception. <laughs> but yeah, it's like one of those things where like if it's, it was out of my control. And if yeah. I had said to my dad, like, like, oh, the only way to make my wedding day better would be if it would stop raining. And my what, my dad can't do anything about that. Like, yeah. all he would have been able to do is, like, pray that it would, like, stop. But it would be, yeah, like, it, if he wanted to make my day better, but that was the only way, then that would be miserable for him because it's out yeah. of his control. Yeah. My dad doesn't control the weather. All right. Should we go on to the next one? <laughs> yes. So the next story was one that we had put on the Facebook page. And it's actually, I love this one so much. And it's the the stated moral that goes with it is not what I got out of the story. And so I was excited to actually hear what other people got out of the story too. And it is called The Fatal Courtship. <laughs> So Are you sure that's sto- not like a film noir from 1947? <laughs> the Fatal Courtship. <laughs> Starring Humphrey Bogart <laughs> and Lauren Bacall. My gosh. You were so ready with those like... I would see that movie in a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, now we got to make it. Except they're both dead. So, there once was a lion that a mouse had freed from a snare... Which, I just want to point out, there are actually lots of Aesop fables where... Lions um, and snares. Yeah, where where a lion is ensnared and he gets saved by a weaker animal. It makes the strong animal, the lion, indebted to the weaker animal. Yeah. 
So like it gets used a lot because people might know an Aesop fable where a lion lets a mouse go because he was like, I promise I'll do a favor for you someday. And the lion was like, oh, I don't know when a mouse would do me a favor, but fine. And he lets him free, but then the lion gets ensnared and then the uh, mouse come and he frees him. And he's, and the story is like, like even small things can make a powerful difference in your life or something yeah. like that. So it's kind of so, a common theme, a common trope. Yeah. Yeah. So if people are like, wait, this sounds familiar. It's like, I know it sounds familiar, but it's going in a different direction. <laughs> <laughs> so the lion whom the mouse had freed from being ensnared was so grateful to the mouse that he was like, mouse, tell me what is your, like, what is your desire? Name anything you wish. I will give it to you. And the mouse starting to feel like pretty puffed up and proud of himself. He's like, oh, yeah, the strongest animal in the forest is now like indebted to me. He decides to wish for the biggest thing that he could possibly wish for, which was to marry the lion's daughter. He was like, I would like to marry your lioness daughter. And the lion, without even thinking about it, was like, of course, whatever you desire. And he called his daughter to come out to greet her suitor. And she ran out so quickly, she didn't see the mouse, and she stepped on him and crushed him <laughs> to death. <laughs> I love the stories that have, like, surprise violence. <laughs> Darling, I'm coming. She's like, oh, my husband is here. <laughs> I love that, too. Oh, man. So what was crazy when I put it on Facebook... I I left off the uh, moral, yeah. So I could ask people what their moral would be, and Valerie got the actually the closest to what the actual moral is. She wrote, "Don't wish for things that are too big for you. You may be crushed by the weight of that responsibility." Oh man! Which she was like, because when I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's really close to what the actual," she was like, "I was just trying to make like." The best Jokes. puns. Yeah. yeah, he was like, I was just trying to do some puns. The weight of your responsibility. But the actual moral is bad wishing makes bad getting. And so that idea of like, don't wish for things that are too big for you. Yeah. Or because there's also an adage that's like the right opportunity comes at the right time and at the right size. I mean, this happens in American Idol where they talk about like some people have a really great talent for singing, but they're not necessarily ready for the rigor of the job of being a performer. Yeah. Because like they either like they have families or whatever it is. They don't have like the time that the practice requires that the travel requires the like everything that goes into it. And so even though they could be given that opportunity of being a famous like pop star or whatever, if they might not that the, that wish might actually be the wrong size for them. It might be too big. So anyway, yeah. In the fatal courtship, <laughs> the the real moral of like this story is like that bad wishing makes bad getting. But I was interested in what some other people said. I liked uh, Camille and Megan both had kind of similar ones that when you leave women out of sp- this is Camille, when you leave women out of spaces where decisions are being made, they will crush the patriarchy. <laughs> Literally. And on accident. And on accident. <laughs> And then Megan wrote, include women in your scheming or they'll crush you. Yeah. Which (laughs) I'm like, I love both of those because really like 
in the story, the problem was that like the lioness ran out to meet her husband. Not knowing. Not knowing who he was or where he was. Yeah. And or she what likes, he was. Or what he was and smashed him. Yeah. And maybe, you know, if she had some kind of, if she had been involved in the conversation. She'd have known she needed to step a little more lightly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, there is this this tale actually reminds me of a tale that was in the book of Nepali fairy tales uh-huh. that I read except that it was this um fox who ended up marrying a lioness and he like nearly killed himself trying to prove that he was like worthy of her, but trying to trick her into thinking that he was worthy of her. Yeah. And so my brain kind of went in that direction when I read this story that I was thinking in a marriage, there has to be some balance in the strengths of both people. Yeah. That if you are married to somebody that you can like crush either intellectually or maybe even like career wise, like monetarily, there's going to be kind of like this uh, bad, like imbalance in the marriage. And I've known a couple of people in my life who have been really attracted to strong women, to like women who are very like intelligent and career oriented or yeah, just like, intellectually spiritually like whatever like they're attracted to to that kind of a woman but then when they end up getting married to them they realize like oh this person makes me feel either makes them feel insecure or they realize that they had imagined for themselves a marriage where the woman was weaker Uh (laughs) in some way that like And so they end up like getting divorced because they're like, oh, even though I'm attracted to strong women, I don't want to feel weaker than the woman that I'm married to. And that goes back to the conversation about insecurities. So Michelle wrote, this one's like, when considering marriage, size matters. We got some funny, uh, some funny people here on the Facebook page. I love that. <laughs> I'm like, I wasn't gonna go there. Just kidding. We know that. I'm like, I, I have a mind for innuendo. I love it. Yep, include women in decisions that affect their lives, or they'll crush you. Could be applied to a lot of the stories that we've read today. Of include women in yeah. like the conversation. And that one thing that was interesting as I was like looking through uh, the stories for uh, tales about like marriage or that involved like a marriage relationship mm-hmm. is like while doing that, it really stood out to me how few women are inside of like Aesop's fables and in the stories. Yeah. The most, the most common like female figure to pop up is moms. Like yeah. either like goat moms, <laughs> lion moms, just usually moms more than like uh, love interests or even like the only time a woman really like was a leader of a story is when it's like Minerva 
when it's like a story about like a a Greek female God. Yeah. And I, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that. Like the fact that Aesop was a man. Also stories about men usually are the ones that persist through time better. Those are usually the ones that educated men are more inclined to write down. Yeah. Men are less inclined to like scholars who know how to read and write are less likely to record the stories of women. But then also Aesop's fables is a book. That's like, it's more about military and political alignments and like wisdom of that nature. Yeah. And so especially at that time was, you know, even today it's, seems to be more dominated by men, but even especially back then was like, Oh, if you are in those things, you are a man or dressed as a man in disguise. Like Um, Mulan. um, (laughs) So yeah, it was kind of difficult even as I was like looking through stories to find ones that would like work for this subject because I wanted to tell the fatal courtship. That was actually the story that I was like, oh, I love this one. I want to tell it. I want it to be told and discussed. And I was like, oh, and it would work to talk about marriage. And so as I was flipping through trying to find all the ones that pertain to marriage, I really could only find like six. One story we've already told before, and that was where the uh, guy wanted to marry his cat. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and, what a weirdo. Yeah, and so it is like the amount of women like involved in this these like stories is small and they're usually not the main character. And like they're usually like the side character. The moral is usually like geared toward the man, like we've kind of already discussed where like the moral about the guy who had two wives. Yeah. It was more of like the man's story. And so it was interesting now in modern times like for us to look at it from like the female perspective mm-hmm. of what that would say coming from like a different perspective. And so this story, looking at it from like kind of the lioness's position of like, if you'd included her in what was going on, it wouldn't have ended in tragedy yeah. per se. She either would have at least known what her husband looks like. So she wouldn't have not seen him and crushed him. Or she could have said, no, pick something else, buddy. Like, I, <laughs> like that's not going to work out. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I want to have kids. And the fact is, is that's not science. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, this next story actually does feature a woman in the kind of like protagonist role. Excellent. Go for it, Jeff. Which was kind of cool. Not to disprove everything you just said, but this is the exception <laughs> to So this one is called The Woman and the Farmer. So a woman who had recently lost her husband used to go out every day to his grave and start, you know, crying and lamenting his loss. And a farmer who was, you know, plowing a field nearby would see her out there crying every day. And he was like, oh, you know what? I think I want to marry this woman. So I'm going to get myself involved in a little trickery to do so. So one day he goes out there and starts crying himself. And when the woman comes out to visit her husband's grave and sees him crying, he's like, oh, why are you crying? And he replies like, oh, I just recently lost my wife who is very dear to me. And I'm just like so sad because of it. And she's like, oh, I just lost my husband. And I'm like really sad because of that too. And so they mourn together for a little bit in silence. 
And then he was like, hey, since, uh, you know, we're both available, why don't we get together? And so, you know, he's like, I'll take the place of your dead husband. You could take the place of my dead wife. And we can like fill that void for one another, which sounds like a really sweet thing. Yeah. Except that he was a liar. (laughs) And so the woman's like, okay, yeah, you know what? That sounds good to me. And they were married. And because of that, you know, they, they had kind of that, a little bit of that grief assuaged for a while. But in the night, one night, a thief came and stole the oxen that the farmer used to, to plow his field. And when the farmer discovered the theft, he started like pounding his chest and just like wailing and crying and being so sad about his loss. And then his wife comes out and she's like, what? Why are you still crying? And he was like, yeah, but this time it's real. <laughs> <laughs> which i <It's> do like, <laughs> you got pregged <laughs> and it's like he like he's more upset because it's like when he was in the graveyard pretending that he had a wife that died yeah he was like sad but like it says yeah. like what is like ox got stolen he was like beating his chest yeah and like he was sobbing. so he was like upset. more upset <laughs> at that Hopefully, if his wife really died, he would be that level right. of upset. But, but it's, it's like just... he didn't have a wife at all, ever. <laughs> yeah. He was just a liar. Yeah, and the moral is false tears are indistinguishable from real tears, save to he who cries them. Which that's... A weird and interesting take on that story. Yeah, I'm like, that's a, an interesting piece of like wisdom, because it's kind of saying like, don't trust people who appear sad because they it's easy to fake yeah that it, you're sad it's weird because it's like, like not actionable i feel like most of this have something you can kind of like yeah, act yeah. on like what it's just saying like hey it's like a it's like i could imagine getting this from like a fortune you know it's just like hey this is a fact you can't tell the difference between people that are crying for real and aren't so deal with it you know yeah. it's not like keep an eye out for people that might be suspiciously crying or you know it's just like or or even like make people prove their sadness to you or something like yeah it is like it's not actionable like there's nothing that i can do it's just like that tidbit of knowledge that like just you know sometimes people are acting sad but they're not they're lying to you yeah it's like keep this in your mind so you can be on the lookout yeah there's a lot of these stories that are about not trusting people at face value whether it's like people are always trying to sell you something so if they're acting concerned for your safety so that they can sell you something be suspicious if they are acting sad so that they can sell you something or they're saying like oh you and i can relate to each other really well be cautious don't trust immediately that yeah. seems to be a lot of Aesop fables like are like, don't trust people right at the beginning. And I'm like, who hurt you, Aesop? <laughs> many, many politicians. Apparently. But I mean, that is kind of true that like people, <laughs> life is pain. If anybody tells you differently, they're trying to sell you something. Yeah. And that is really good. And it's like, because this person was employing like, lots of carn artists they're employing emotion 
in order to short circuit your rational thinking. You know, he was exploiting a weakness, which is the fact that she was in mourning and missing someone. And they use that emotion to short circuit the normal process of gaining trust, which is like, hey, let's get to know each other and see that we actually like each other. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. And he's like, oh, no, I'm a widower and you're a widow. We should get together. And she's like, oh, yeah, I should be with somebody who I can relate with. Yeah, on that level, which is not bad. And it's not even necessarily a bad place for starting a relationship because, again, you do have something in common that you can share about that not a lot of people do. You know, like losing a spouse is something that's, I presume, and have been told is so traumatic that it's really, really hard to talk about with other people who haven't been through it because they just don't understand it's And I, I can imagine that it would be unimaginably bad and traumatic and difficult. So that's a really good place you can start bonding, but don't let that be the only thing. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, it's like, let that be the start of like a friendship. Let that be the start of a, because I'm like, I feel like if, there had been further inquiry on her part, she would have found out that pretty quickly that, that was a lie. Yeah. Because I'm sure he has relatives who know that he's yeah. never been married or that he's never like experienced that loss. So it really is like that was a lie that would have quickly fallen apart if, you know, she gave it a minute yeah. <laughs> to get to, to really like get to know a person. Yeah. And I think that's a good advice. Like when you're even taking it back to selling something like, advertisements and marketing, lots of times they try to play on your emotions and make you make decisions emotionally rather than rationally. And humans are emotional beings. So we respond really well to emotion, but it's kind of like check that and check our response to other people's emotions. Yeah. So that we can make good choices. Another sales tactic that they say to always like watch out for is if somebody is trying to make you make a decision right now. Yeah. If they're like, oh, this deal is only available right now. You need to get this right now. This is only right now. And if if they're making if they're pushing that on you, that should always be like a red red flag. flag that that they are making it harder for you to get a second opinion. They're making it harder for you to like check up. On stuff like to just take that time to step away from the emotional sell of it, yeah. By telling you like, oh, this needs to be like quick, yeah. Because like in this, if she had kind of like you know taken some time to see what was really happening, she'd realize like, oh, that's fake tears. Just because somebody is appearing to be emotional doesn't mean that they are. Yeah, you know it's something I just noticed looking back over the story. I think I said that they got married, but they didn't. It was just in the time that he'd been there crying with her that he noticed that his oxen was stolen, which makes the story so much funnier because like he goes over and he's crying and his ox gets stolen and then he looks over and he starts crying for real. So actually, this has pretty happy ending for the woman because it wasn't too late. She didn't marry him. She realized the difference between his fake cries and his real cries. And Good. he even gave himself away too at the end. Yeah, I'm you like, know, he's yes, t- but this time it's real. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Jerk. Good. I'm glad that this imaginary woman was saved from being imaginary married to this imaginary Me man. Me too. <laughs> I like that sometimes when we're telling stories, the way that we discuss them is if is as if we that we believe that they happened. Yeah. 
I enjoy that. That sometimes we'll be discussing like, well, but I think that maybe his motive was blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And then we it invent. makes it sound like we are unaware that this yeah. is real. <laughs> we like invent all this backstory. It's like, well, we got to consider that person's point of view. Maybe they had a really <laughs> tough childhood. Why yeah. was he so desperate to get married that he would have to trick this poor woman? It's like, yeah. It doesn't matter. It's supposed to be very surface level. Yeah. Which I love it when we do discuss kind of going deeper into it, but then we are like, okay, but on the surface level. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. About. It's fun. It, it is fun. It's for fun. I just want people to know we're not crazy. We know these stories are made up. <laughs> uh, so one of the only stories in Aesop's fable that was about marriage, like that the moral was about marriage, is a story I'm about to tell you called The Hounds in Couple which I think it's hilarious that he's like, this story is about dogs, but also marriage. So there was once a huntsman who was hunting with his group of dogs. And what he would do was he would chain a couple dogs to each other to prevent them from following every scent and going about disorderly. I don't know a whole lot about how people would hunt with dogs <laughs> yeah. in antiquity. Um, but this is what the story is telling me is that he had them hooked up to each other, like a couple dogs hooked up to each other so that they couldn't follow every um, inclination and fancy. They would have to kind of uh, agree like a right. consensus on like where they were going. So he had, Two dogs that were, like, really, really young and inexperienced hooked up to each other. One was named Jowler and one was named Vixen. Ooh, Vixen was names. the girl. Jowler was the boy. So they were young and inexperienced, and he had them hooked together. And before they had been hooked together, they had really, really enjoyed each other's company, got along great. And so, you know, the huntsman had thought, this will be good. I'm going to hook these two young and experienced dogs together that get along well with each other. Mm -hmm. And they'll, this is how like we'll train them to be together. But once they were hooked together, they started to quarrel with each other because every time one of them was like, Oh, we should go this way. It would yank the chain on the other one's neck, mm. angering the other one, yeah. making them more set in their ways until they were spending all of their time just yanking on each other's chains, which oh, I think man. is hilarious because it's like, <laughs> quit yanking my chain. <laughs> so they had not been able to hunt well at all with each other. They Because Vixen would pull Jowler back and Jowler would drag Vixen. And so it was just this like constant fight until it finally ended with them having a giant quarrel, which Vixen lost because it says that she was smaller mm. and it was like the, the tenderness of her sex because vixen was the girl yeah. so it ended in this fight and finally this old hound dog came over to them and was like let me let you guys in on a little secret he's like the only reason why you guys are not going along happily and comfortably with each other is because neither one of you is willing to compromise you would Rather prove that you were right and yank on each other's chains and then get frustrated with being yanked on than you are in actually finding the trail. If you endeavor to join in the same pursuit 
and are willing to follow one another's inclinations, soon you will find your jogging together in comfort and pleasure instead of pulling each other in the direction that you think is right. And so the moral is mutual compliances are necessary to matrimonial happiness. So yeah, this is the only one where the moral points directly at marriage. And I think that's so interesting because it is like they were going along happily together before they were tied to each other. So it's like, obviously the tying each other together is like symbolic of like when you get married to each other and suddenly you get hitched. (laughs) (laughs) And now it's like, you have to be put once you're married, you have to be pulling in the same direction. Yeah. Or you'll rip each other's heads off. Like It's interesting. Like the idea of like that bond between you makes it so you can't be apart. So when you try, it causes some real issues, which the other yeah. thing I like about it too, is like, it's talking about how they're both on, like it says like, you know, the mutual endeavor, they're both heading towards the same goal. They may have different ideas about like if they're following a scent or whatever, they may catch a whiff of it over here. One may catch a whiff over there. And if they communicate, it's not like, oh, I'm going to be wrong and you're going to be right. Using the information together and those two perspectives together are going to help yeah. find what the trail actually is. You know, so it's yeah. like, it's just a really interesting thing about marriage too. It's like, you're on the same team. You're not trying to have your way or the other person's way. You're both trying to, or you should have this like shared mutual goal of, you know, having a happy life, raising a successful family, whatever that case may yeah. be, you know, like whatever your shared goals are. And you should be like, okay, we're working together to find this shared goal. You may have little differences of opinion here and there, but as you're listening to each other and reasoning them out, you can find a way that winds towards that rather than getting you stopped. Like if you're just fighting the whole time, you're not making any forwards progress towards your goal, which means you are failing, you know? Yeah. And also I think it's interesting that like the only time you can feel the chain is when you're tugging on it. Like, the only time it feels like you are being like hindered down, or yeah. controlled, yeah, tied down, is when you're pushing and pulling on each other. I yeah. guess not pushing. If you're pushing, you can't feel the chain. <laughs> that's not how chains work. <laughs> but yeah, when you're pulling or dragging the other person behind you, that's when you both can feel like the weight of being yeah. like tied with each other. Feel it as a negative thing. Yeah. But when you are like moving side by side happily together, it doesn't feel like a weight. It doesn't feel like being chained down. Yeah. Because you're moving along side by side with each other. No one's getting dragged. No one's having to pull the other person. You're moving together. And I know like that is so true, like in marriage where like when people are like, oh, the old ball and chain. (laughs) Like, yeah, it, it only feels like a ball and chain when the person's like, Usually in like movies and stuff, it's like, like, oh, she doesn't want me to go out and drink at the bar every night, that old ball and chain. It's like, well, okay, maybe she has a legitimate reason. Like you're wasting a bunch of money or she wants to spend time with you. Like, yeah, it only feels like a ball and chain because you are pulling on the chain. Yeah. But yeah, when you're moving together towards like a common goal, it feels more like the marriage is an asset to you than a detriment to you. Yeah. I know that's true in my marriage. Like when we're both like headed in like the same direction, even if both of us have like what you're talking about, like different ideas about how to reach a goal, we're both still heading for the same goal. We might have different ways or directions that we want to tackle it. But if we 
communicate what those are with each other. And then one of us is either like willing to compromise or we see the other person's point of view and we're like, oh, okay, I'm in agreement with you that this is the best like way. And you keep moving toward that goal, but you're there's no tugging on each other. There's yeah. no dragging anyone kicking and screaming behind you. Yeah, it can be just like, you know, there are those moments where you may feel like the slight little tug that that makes you think like, okay, I need to pay attention to this person because we're starting to drift off, which means there's something we need to address, yeah. you know, rather than yeah. turning it to, because it's just, it's like, you're never, if you both have completely opposing goals, that's when things are just going to completely fall apart because you cannot have two dogs that are chained together, chase like rabbits that are running in opposite directions or whatever, you know, yeah. it's like you have to be going towards the same one or else they'll just be stuck at a standstill or, yeah. you know, one's going to get dragged along and injured and be completely miserable. You yeah. know, it's just like, and I mean, another thing that kind of like happens in the story is that like when they, when one of them feels the tug on the chain, instead of so being like, Hey, what's up? Let's talk about yeah, this. They're like, you're hurting me on purpose. Yeah. And that causes even more of a quarrel that causes it to like escalate. Right. And it's like, Oh, you pulled on me. Now I'm going to pull on you. I'm going to drag you. And then they're using the chain as a means to hurt each other. Yeah. <laughs> instead of just being like, Oh, I'm feeling pain because of a decision that was made. Or if they gave the person the benefit of the doubt of like, I didn't realize that you'd stopped moving when I rushed forward. I didn't right. mean to tug on you. Yeah. And there's like a pause of like, Oh, I'm sorry if I was tugging on you. Like yeah. if that hurt, I didn't realize you'd stop. What's the problem? Like yeah. you just said that like when there, when there is that bit of a tug, it's a message to the person to turn around and be like, Oh, what's the, what's going on? Like, what's the deal? Yeah. Because it's like, if you're chained to somebody and you're running past a tree, you better be moving in the same direction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting to take it back to the beginning of the story too, because they talked about how like the purpose of chaining the two dogs together was to make sure that they were always heading towards the same spot. So it's also like, Hey, if you and the person that you're planning on, you know, hitching yourself to don't have the same goal. That's a sign that you're not going to have a very successful time of it. Like before you hitch yourself to someone, know that you're going to be making this commitment to be heading towards the same thing together. Because if not, you know, this story shows what happens. Yeah. You're going to just keep like yanking on each other and hurting each other. And I think this can be extrapolated to, again, we've been doing it the opposite way in most of these stories, but it can be extrapolated to, any relationship between two people where you're working towards a t- common goal, like your a team at work or your friends or, you know, like you're on a sports ball team. Yeah. I like to say I, sports ball because it makes it sound like I don't know anything about sports, but I actually do like sports just so you know. Um, or I was even thinking about how the two dogs got put together one because they got along well with each other, but yeah. also they had common um, like strengths. Yeah. They were, and that kind of goes back to the story of like the fatal courtship where the two were not evenly matched. Yeah. Try chaining a, a mouse, a mouse and, a, and a, a lion together, together and see how well that goes. <laughs> so I think like that also goes to like, you, you do need to be not chained. It, it makes it sound bad to say like to equate marriage with being chained to somebody, but <laughs> like hit yourself with somebody who has common strengths than you because you don't want to feel like you're pulling 
all the weight. Yeah. And in any relationship, you don't, don't feel want feel like you're the one pulling all the weight. And you don't want to feel like you're being dragged along. Like you say, you've got the mouse yeah. and the lion. The lion's going to be chasing after gazelles and like chowing down on that. It's like, and you're never going to get your cheese. You're going to get bounced off rocks and yeah. stuff as you get dragged yeah. in that direction. There's you're no way the mouse happy. can keep up. Yeah. It's just like, like a mouse can't keep up. <laughs> and I know this isn't like the point we think about other animals, like, you know, oxen or whatever that they tie together where the whole point is like their shared strength is pulling this burden forward together. It's like, yeah. if, again, if you have animals or people of different strengths pulling, one person is going to be pulling more of the load or one person is going to get dragged it's just not going to be a good situation for, yeah. for anyone. You involved. won't, yeah, you won't be moving as efficiently and effectively if you're with somebody who doesn't have shared strengths, yeah. or like, or if you have the same weaknesses too. Yeah, that's a good story. That is, and I like that it was exclusively about, about like being married. Yeah. yeah, and and I do like that you know there's that old hound that's like, guys, come on. Like get it. You're, you're doing this to yourselves. Like you both are good hunting dogs and you could be helping each other, but instead you're like doing this. And, uh, I think there are different points in like a marriage where you do need somebody who has like more maturity. Yeah. And outside parties. Yeah. Marriage counseling. I'm all for it. Someone to show you like, Hey, this is what you're doing to yourselves that you don't realize and help you realize you need to be back on that same goal. If you want to make things work. Yeah. And to say like, Hey, you, you might not be able to see this, but the reason why that chain's getting tugged on isn't because you both hate each other. It's because you're moving in two different directions. Yeah. So either get back to, cause it is like when they were acting like, Oh, you hurt me. I'm assuming it's on purpose. And it's like, it, it wasn't on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, some of the time it turned into like on purpose. And I think like in marriage that happens sometimes too, where like you might accidentally like hurt the other person's like feelings and not realize it. But if they don't say, Hey, you yeah. hurt my feelings just then. If instead they decide they're going to immediately just hurt you back. Yeah. And then it now escalates. You're, yeah. It just escalates. And now you're in like a cycle where like people are getting hurt and there's no like real good reason behind yeah. it. And you're doing it on purpose. Yeah. Now you're doing it on purpose and you don't want to hurt the person that you love on purpose. Yeah. You don't want to hurt them on accident, but at least it's on accident. Yeah. That man, there's a, there's a lot of layers to this thing. Yeah. I'm like, this is a real good story. We could have done a whole episode just on this story. On like the old hound dog and why people need marriage therapy. This needs to be a movie. I'd watch that. This is Don Bluth. We need to bring him back from, he's the The one that needs to be dethawed. And make a movie he about this because be I can picture his animate animation style dog, you know, hound dog coming through and giving the old, you know, the advice at the end or hopefully yeah. not the end because hopefully it's the middle and then they do learn to work as a team and then they reach whatever goal they have and then they're super happy and they're like, I can't believe we were so dumb and everything works out and they're just happy. In the That's end. a beautiful movie, Jeff. Thanks. So I hope people enjoyed our fifth Friday Fable Fest. And I'm hoping, like, I got a lot out of the um, putting the stories on Facebook and hearing yeah. other people's comments. So I, I hope that, that was helpful to people. So at first, I was a little nervous. We had had this idea of wanting people to give their feedback on these stories. And I was a little nervous of, like, how we were going to do that. And I mean, I'm sure we'll, like, change it up in the future or, like, tweak it so that it works the best. 
But I'm so happy that we kind of opened up these stories for the audience ahead of time to give us some of like their ideas on like the morals because it made us uh, think about things in ways that probably wouldn't have come up in the discussion. And it was also really interesting to hear the topics from people who listen to the podcast that they kind of get out of stories, like whether it's like racism or like feminist standpoints, it's just interesting to hear from other people and get like kind of a collection of voices to, to talk about what they get out of these stories. Cause then the discussion was just so much richer than I think it has even been like in the past in our fifth Friday fable fests. Yeah, I agree. It was awesome. And I, I think, you know, don't wait for us. We'll definitely be doing stuff like this again, but you don't have to wait for us to put out a story or something to respond to. Like if you hear something on one of our episodes that you like, or have a different take on something that we didn't think of, like we would love for you to reach out and let us know on Facebook, Instagram, wherever you can reach us so that maybe we could go back and re-explore some ideas, maybe with a, the same tale or maybe with a different tale. I don't know, whatever, but we would love to have your input help build the direction of the show. We've had that happen in the past where people write in and that, you know, ended up becoming a whole episode and led us to learn things that we never would have learned had you not written in to tell us. So that's what this is all about for me is like being able to learn new things and share what we're learning with people. So I encourage everyone to write in and, and share your thoughts and opinions and your viewpoints on these tales or fairy tales or yeah. the subject matter in general and hopefully look forward to hearing from you. Yeah. And for, for me, like one of the reasons why I was interested in like doing the podcast in the beginning was so that I could have discussions with people who are interested in like the same topic as me, since I, you know, my group of friends, it was like, I'm a person that's like really into this and it was fun talking to my friends about it, but it was even better when like people who are interested reach out and want to have like discussions. So this was awesome for me to have like people like in conversation with like the stories and with us the podcast so thanks for everybody who participated we really enjoy reading all of the comments and the funny ones the serious ones even the gifts thank you for listening to the fairy tellers if you are enjoying what we're doing, please support us by leaving us a review or share us with your friends. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer. If you're a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Invitation by Shel Silverstein. Daddy! Make it stop raining, Daddy!